Section 30 of the Arabian Nights Entertainments, Volume 3, translated by Jonathan Scott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gillian Hendry. The Story of Ali Baba and the Forty Robbers Destroyed by a Slave, Part 2. The next morning, soon after day appeared, Morgiana, who knew a certain old cobbler that opened his stall early before other people, went to him and, bidding him good morrow, put a piece of gold into his hand. Well, said Baba Mustafa, which was his name, and who was a merry old fellow, looking at the gold, though it was hardly daylight, and seeing what it was, this is good, Hansel. What must I do for it? I am ready. Baba Mustafa, said Morgiana, you must take with you your sewing tackle and go with me. But I must tell you, I shall blindfold you when you come to such a place. Baba Mustafa seemed to hesitate a little at these words. Oh, oh, replied he, you would have me do something against my conscience or against my honour? God forbid, said Morgiana, putting another piece of gold into his hand, that I should ask anything that is contrary to your honour. Only come along with me and fear nothing. Baba Mustafa went with Morgiana, who, after she had bound his eyes with a handkerchief at the place she had mentioned, conveyed him to her deceased master's house, and never unloosed his eyes till he had entered the room where she had put the corpse together. "'Baba Mustafa,' said she, "'you must make haste and sew these quarters together, and when you have done, I will give you another piece of gold.' After Baba Mustafa had finished his task, she blindfolded him again, gave him the third piece of gold as she had promised, and recommending secrecy to him, carried him back to the place where she first bound his eyes, pulled off the bandage, and let him go home, but watched him that he returned towards his stall, till he was quite out of sight, for fear he should have the curiosity to return and dodge her. She then went home. By the time Morgiana had warmed some water to wash the body, Ali Baba came with incense to embalm it, after which it was sewn up in a winding-sheet. Not long after, the joiner, according to Ali Baba's orders, brought the beer, which Morgiana received at the door, and helped Ali Baba to put the body into it, when she went to the mosque to inform the imam that they were ready. The people of the mosque whose business it was to wash the dead, offered to perform their duty, but she told them that it was done already. Morgiana had scarcely got home before the imam and the other ministers of the mosque arrived. Four neighbours carried the corpse on their shoulders to the burying ground, following the imam, who recited some prayers. Morgiana, as a slave to the deceased, followed the corpse weeping, beating her breast, and tearing her hair and Ali Baba came after with some neighbours, who often relieved the others in carrying the corpse to the burying-ground. Cassim's wife stayed at home mourning, uttering lamentable cries with the women of the neighbourhood, who came according to custom during the funeral, and joining their lamentations with hers, filled the quarter far and near with sorrow. In this manner Cassim's melancholy death was concealed, and hushed up between Ali Baba his wife, Cassim's widow, and Morgiana, with so much contrivance that nobody in the city had the least knowledge or suspicion of the cause of it.
Three or four days after the funeral, Ali Baba removed his few goods openly to the widow's home, but the money he had taken from the robbers he conveyed thither by night. Soon after, the marriage with his sister-in-law was published, and as these marriages are common, nobody was surprised. As for Cassim's warehouse, Ali Baba gave it to his own eldest son, promising that if he managed it well, he would soon give him a fortune to marry very advantageously according to his situation. Let us now leave Ali Baba to enjoy the beginning of his good fortune, and return to the forty robbers. They came again at the appointed time to visit their retreat in the forest, but great was their surprise to find Cassim's body taken away, with some of their bags of gold. "'We are certainly discovered,' said the captain, "'and if we do not speedily apply some remedy, shall gradually lose all the riches which our ancestors and ourselves have, with so much pains and danger, been so many years amassing together.' All that we can think of the loss which we have sustained is that the thief whom we surprised had the secret of opening the door, and we came luckily as he was coming out. But his body being removed, and with it some of our money, plainly shows that he had an accomplice, and, as it is likely that there were but two who had discovered our secret, and one has been caught, we must look narrowly after the other. What say you, my lads? All the robbers thought the captain's proposal so advisable that they unanimously approved of it, and agreed that they must lay all other enterprises aside to follow this closely, and not give it up till they had succeeded. I expected no less, said the captain, from your fidelity to our cause. But, first of all, one of you who is bold, artful, and enterprising, must go into the town, disguised as a traveller and a stranger, to try if he can hear any talk of the strange death of the man whom we have killed, as he deserved, and endeavour to find out who he was and where he lived. This is a matter of the first importance for us to ascertain that we may do nothing which we may have reason to repent of by discovering ourselves in a country where we have lived so long unknown and where we have so much reason to continue. But to warn him who shall take upon himself this commission, and to prevent our being deceived by his giving us a false report, which may be the cause of our ruin, I ask you all, if you do not think that in case of treachery, or even error of judgment, he should suffer death. Without waiting for the suffrages of his companions, one of the robbers started up and said, I submit to this condition, and think it an honour to expose my life by taking the commission upon me. But remember, at least, if I do not succeed, that I neither wanted courage nor good will to serve the troop. After this robber had received great commendations from the captain and his comrades, he disguised himself so that nobody would take him for what he was, and taking his leave of the troop that night, went into the town just at daybreak, and walked up and down, till accidentally he came to Baba Mustafa's stall, which was always open before any of the shops. Baba Mustafa was seated with an awl in his hand, just going to work. The robber saluted him, bidding him good morrow, and perceiving that he was old, said, "'Honest man, 
you begin to work very early. Is it possible that one of your age can see so well? I question, even if it were somewhat lighter, whether you could see to stitch. Certainly, replied Baba Mustafa, you must be a stranger and do not know me, for old as I am, I have extraordinary good eyes, and you will not doubt it when I tell you that I sewed a dead body together in a place where I had not so much light as I have now. The robber was overjoyed to think that he had addressed himself at his first coming into the town to a man who in all probability could give him the intelligence he wanted. A dead body, replied he with affected amazement to make him explain himself. What could you sew up a dead body for? You mean you sewed up his winding sheet? No, no, answered Baba Mustafa. I perceive your meaning. You want to have me speak out, but you shall know no more. The robber wanted no farther assurance to be persuaded that he had discovered what he sought. He pulled out a piece of gold, and putting it into Baba Mustafa's hand, said to him, I do not want to learn your secret, though I can assure you I would not divulge it if you trusted me with it. The only thing which I desire of you is to do me the favour to show me the house where you stitched up the dead body. If I were disposed to do you that favour, replied Baba Mustafa, holding the money in his hand ready to return it, I assure you I cannot, and you may believe me on my word. I was taken to a certain place where I was blinded. I was then led to the house, and afterwards brought back again in the same manner. You see, therefore, the impossibility of my doing what you desire. Well, said the robber, you may, however, remember a little of the way that you were led blindfolded. Come, let me blind your eyes at the same place. We will walk together. Perhaps you may recognize some part. And as everybody ought to be paid for their trouble, there is another piece of gold for you. Gratify me in what I ask you. So saying, he put another piece of gold into his hand. The two pieces of gold were great temptations to Baba Mustafa. He looked at them a long time in his hand, without saying a word, thinking with himself what he should do. But at last he pulled out his purse and put them in. I cannot assure you, said he to the robber, that I can remember the way exactly, but since you desire, I will try what I can do. At these words, Baba Mustafa rose up to the great joy of the robber, and without shutting his shop, where he had nothing valuable to lose, he led the robber to the place where Morgiana had bound his eyes. It was here, said Baba Mustafa. I was blindfolded, and I turned as you see me. The robber, who had his handkerchief ready, tied it over his eyes, walked by him till he stopped, partly leading and partly guided by him. I think, said Baba Mustafa, I went no farther. And he had now stopped directly at Cassim's house, where Ali Baba then lived. The thief, before he pulled off the band, marked the door with a piece of chalk, which he had ready in his hand, and then asked him if he knew whose house that was, to which Baba Mustafa replied that as he did not live in that neighbourhood, he could not tell. The robber, finding he could discover no more from Baba Mustafa, thanked him for the trouble he had taken, and left him to go back to his stall,
while he returned to the forest, persuaded that he should be very well received. A little after the robber and Baba Mustapha had parted, Morgiana went out of Ali Baba's house upon some errand, and upon her return, seeing the mark the robber had made, stopped to observe it. "'What can be the meaning of this mark?' said she to herself. "'Somebody intends my master no good. However, with whatever intention it was done, it is advisable to guard against the worst.' Accordingly, she fetched a piece of chalk, and marked two or three doors on each side, in the same manner, without saying a word to her master or mistress. In the meantime, the thief rejoined his troop in the forest, and recounted to them his success, expatiating upon his good fortune in meeting so soon with the only person who could inform him of what he wanted to know. All the robbers listened to him with the utmost satisfaction, when the captain, after commenting his diligence, addressed himself to them all, said, "'Comrades, we have no time to lose. Let us set off well armed, without its appearing who we are. But that we may not excite any suspicion, let only one or two go into the town together, and join at our rendezvous, which shall be the great square. In the meantime, our comrade, who brought us the good news, and I, We'll go and find out the house, that we may consult what had best be done. This speech and plan were approved of by all, and they were soon ready. They filed off in parties of two each, after some interval of time, and got into the town without being in the least suspected. The captain, and he who had visited the town in the morning as spy, came in the last. He led the captain into the street where he had marked Ali Baba's residence, and when they came to the first of the houses which Morgiana had marked, he pointed it out. But the captain observed that the next door was chalked in the same manner, and in the same place, and showing it to his guide, asked him which house it was, that or the first. The guide was so confounded that he knew not what answer to make, but still more puzzled when he and the captain saw five or six houses similarly marked. He assured the captain with an oath that he had marked but one, and could not tell who had chalked the rest, so that he could not distinguish the house which the cobbler had stopped at. The captain, finding that their design had proved abortive, went directly to the place of rendezvous, and told the first of his troops whom he met that they had lost their labour and must return to their cave. He himself set them the example, and they all returned as they had come. When the troop was all got together, the captain told them the reason of their returning, and presently the conductor was declared by all worthy of death. He condemned himself, acknowledging that he ought to have taken better precaution, and prepared to receive the stroke from him who was appointed to cut off his head. But as the safety of the troop required that an injury should not go unpunished, another of the gang, who promised himself that he should succeed better, presented himself, and his offer being accepted, he went and corrupted Baba Mustapha as the other had done, and being shown the house, marked it in a place more remote from sight, with red chalk. Not long after, Morgiana, whose eyes nothing could escape, went out, and seeing the red chalk, 
and arguing with herself as she had done before, marked the other neighbours' houses in the same place and manner. The robber, at his return to his company, valued himself much on the precaution he had taken, which he looked upon as an infallible way of distinguishing Ali Baba's house from the others, and the captain and all of them thought it must succeed. They conveyed themselves into the town with the same precaution as before, but when the robber and his captain came to the street, they found the same difficulty, at which the captain was enraged, and the robber in as great confusion as his predecessor. Thus the captain and his troop were forced to retire a second time, and much more dissatisfied, while the robber, who had been the author of the mistake, underwent the same punishment, which he willingly submitted to. The captain, having lost two brave fellows of his troop, was afraid of diminishing it too much by pursuing this plan to get information of the residence of their plunderer. He found by their example that their heads were not so good as their hands on such occasions, and therefore resolved to take upon himself the important commission. Accordingly, he went and addressed himself to Baba Mustafa, who did him the same service he had done to the other robbers. He did not set any particular mark on the house, but examined and observed it so carefully, by passing often by it, that it was impossible for him to mistake it. The captain, well satisfied with his attempt, and informed of what he wanted to know, returned to the forest, and when he came into the cave where the troop waited for him, said, Now, comrades, nothing can prevent our full revenge, as I am certain of the house, and in my way hither I have thought how to put it into execution, but if any one can form a better expedient, let him communicate it. He then told them his contrivance, and as they approved of it, ordered them to go into the villages about and buy nineteen mules with thirty-eight large leather jars, one full of oil and the others empty. In two or three days' time the robbers had purchased the mules and jars, and as the mouths of the jars were rather too narrow for his purpose, the captain caused them to be widened, and after having put one of his men into each, with the weapons which he thought fit, leaving open the seam which had been undone to leave them room to breathe, he rubbed the jars on the outside with oil from the full vessel. Things being thus prepared, when the nineteen mules were loaded with thirty-seven robbers in jars and the jar of oil, the captain as their driver set out with them, and reached the town by the dusk of the evening, as he had intended. He led them through the streets till he came to Ali Baba's, at whose door he designed to have knocked, but was prevented by his sitting there after supper to take a little fresh air. He stopped the mules, addressed himself to him, and said, I have brought some oil a great way to sell at tomorrow's market, and it is now so late that I do not know where to lodge. If I should not be troublesome to you, do me the favour to let me pass the night with you, and I shall be very much obliged by your hospitality. Though Ali Baba had seen the captain of the robbers in the forest, and had heard him speak, it was impossible to know him in the disguise of an oil merchant. He told him he should be welcome, 
and immediately opened his gates for the mules to go into the yard. At the same time, he called to a slave, and ordered him, when the mules were unloaded, not only to put them into the stable, but to give them fodder, and then went to Morgiana, to bid her get a good supper for his guest. He did more, to make his guest as welcome as possible, when he saw the captain had unloaded his mules, and that they were put into the stables as he had ordered, and he was looking for a place to pass the night in the air, he brought him into a hall where he received his company, telling him he would not suffer him to be in the court. The captain excused himself on pretence of not being troublesome, but really to have room to execute his design, and it was not till after the most pressing importunity that he yielded. Ali Baba, not content to keep company with the man who had a design on his life till supper was ready, continued talking with him till it was ended, and repeating his offer of service. The captain rose up at the same time with his host, and while Ali Baba went to speak to Morgiana, he withdrew into the yard under pretence of looking at his mules. Ali Baba, after charging Morgiana afresh to take care of his guest, said to her, "'Tomorrow morning I design to go to the bath before day. Take care my bathing linen be ready. Give them to Abdullah, which was the slave's name, and make me some good broth against I return.' After this he went to bed. In the meantime the captain of the robbers went from the stable to give his people orders what to do and beginning at the first jar, and so on to the last, said to each man, As soon as I throw some stones out of the chamber window where I lie, do not fail to cut the jar open with the knife you have about you for the purpose, and come out, and I will immediately join you. After this he returned into the house, when Morgiana, taking up a light, conducted him to his chamber, where she left him and he, to avoid any suspicion, put the light out soon after, and laid himself down in his clothes, that he might be the more ready to rise. Morgiana, remembering Ali Baba's orders, got his bathing linen ready, and ordered Abdullah to set on the pot for the broth. But while she was preparing it, the lamp went out, and there was no more oil in the house, nor any candles. What to do she did not know, for the broth must be made. Abdullah, seeing her very uneasy, said, Do not fret and tease yourself, but go into the yard and take some oil out of one of the jars. Morgiana thanked Abdullah for his advice, took the oil pot and went into the yard, when, as she came nigh the first jar, the robber within said softly, Is it time? Though the robber spoke low, Morgiana was struck with the voice the more, because the captain, when he unloaded the mules, had taken the lids off this and all the other jars to give air to his men, who were ill enough at their ease, almost wanting room to breathe. As much surprised as Morgiana naturally was at finding a man in a jar instead of the oil she wanted, many would have made such a noise as to have given an alarm which would have been attended with fatal consequences. Whereas Morgiana, comprehending immediately the importance of keeping silence, from the danger Ali Baba, his family and herself were in, 
and the necessity of applying a speedy remedy without noise, conceived at once the means, and collecting herself without showing the least emotions, answered, Not yet, but presently. She went in this manner to all the jars, giving the same answer, till she came to the jar of oil. By this means Morgiana found that her master Ali Baba, who thought that he had entertained an oil merchant, had admitted thirty-eight robbers into his house, regarding this pretended merchant as their captain. She made what haste she could to fill her oil-pot, and returned into her kitchen, where, as soon as she had lighted her lamp, she took a great kettle, went again to the oil-jar, filled the kettle, set it on a large wood fire, and, as soon as it boiled, went and poured enough into every jar to stifle and destroy the robber within. When this action, worthy of the courage of Morgiana, was executed without any noise, as she had projected, she returned into the kitchen with the empty kettle, and having put out the great fire she had made to boil the oil, and leaving just enough to make the broth, put out the lamp also, and remained silent, resolving not to go to rest till she had observed what might follow through a window of the kitchen which opened into the yard. End of section 30